God is saying that all the nations will see his judgment. You and I are the first generation in all of human history in which all of the world could watch the war of Gog and Magog play out in real time. What does the war of Gog and Magog tell us about Russia? What does the future hold for the Russian nation? And as believers, what do we need to be aware of for the prophetic future? Hi, and welcome to this episode of Inside the Epicenter with Joel Rosenberg, a podcast of the Joshua Fund, a ministry dedicated to blessing Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus. I'm Carl Muller, Executive Director of the Joshua Fund, and today we present Joel's insights into Russia's relationship to the War of Gog and Magog and what needs to happen before the War of Gog and Magog takes place. Let's listen to Joel. Will America soon abandon Israel and the Jewish people? Will the entire world, including all or most of her trusted allies, abandon Israel in her moment of greatest need? The Bible tells us in Ezekiel 38 and 39 that an apocalyptic war is coming. It's known as the War of Gog and Magog, in which Russia and Iran and a group of other countries will form an alliance and come and surround and attack Israel in the last days of history. But when that happens, especially if it happens soon, can America and the rest of Israel's allies be counted on to protect and defend her from a second Holocaust? In the last few videos, we've been carefully studying Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39 from multiple angles. We've been looking at who are the key players? What do they want to achieve? How do they plan to get what they want? And when will all this happen? In this video, let's look at exactly how the war of Gog and Magog plays out. The good news is that we don't have to guess. The God of Israel revealed his plans to the Hebrew prophet Ezekiel more than 2,500 years ago. And believe me, he gave us a lot of details. Let's begin by looking at Ezekiel chapter 38, verses 17 through 23. Thus says the Lord God, aren't you the one of whom I spoke in former days through my servants, the prophets of Israel, who prophesied in those days for many years that I would bring you against them? It will come about on that day when this Russian dictator named Gog, when Gog comes against the land of Israel, declares the Lord God, that my fury will mount up in anger. In my zeal and in my blazing wrath, I declare that on that day, there will surely be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. The fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, and the beasts of the field, all the creeping things that creep on the earth, and all the men who are on the face of the earth, They will shake at my presence. The mountains will also be thrown down. The steep pathways will collapse and every wall will fall to the ground. I will call for a sword against him, against Gog, this dictator, on all my mountains, declares the Lord God. Every man's sword will be against his brother with pestilence, meaning with horrific pandemics, diseases, And with blood, I will enter into judgment with him, with Gog. And I will rain on him and on his troops and on the many peoples who are with him a torrential rain with hailstones, fire, and brimstone. I will magnify myself, sanctify myself, and make myself known in the sight of many nations. And they will know that I am the Lord. 
This is an amazing prophecy because it starts to lay out that no nation is coming to Israel's defense. Okay, you didn't hear in there that you know some big superpower is going to roll in and defend Israel, right? You don't hear that America is going to be there. We don't have any evidence of the United Nations. There's no evidence that these Arab countries that Israel has built peace treaties with that anybody is coming to help Israel. Not NATO, nobody. Okay, and let's be clear. This will be the most dramatic and miraculous supernatural intervention of God sticking his hand into the affairs of human beings since uh, the Exodus, right? When God rained all these plagues down on the people and leaders of Egypt, uh, when he parted the Red Sea, that dramatic story. We've never seen God put his hand into human history quite like this. Before that, you'd have to go back to Sodom and Gomorrah, okay? So this is big. And in that section in Ezekiel 38, God is very clear. He's going to rain fire and brimstone down on the enemies of Israel, just like he did on Sodom and Gomorrah, like he did at other times against Israel's enemies. He's going to cause horrific plagues, uh, diseases to spread through the enemy forces. He's going to use a massive earthquake to shake and destroy people and buildings are going to collapse. And he's going to create so much chaos that people are going to turn, that the enemy forces will turn on themselves. This is bad, but we get even more specific and graphic details in Ezekiel 39, verses 1 through 6. And you, son of man, prophesy against Gog and say, thus says the Lord God, behold, I'm against you, O Gog, prince of Rosh, Meshech, and Tubal, and I will turn you around, drive you on, take you up from the remotest parts of the north, and do what? And bring you against the mountains of Israel. I will strike your bow from your left hand and dash down your arrows from your right hand. You will fall on the mountains of Israel, you and all your troops and the peoples who are with you. I will give you as food to every kind of predatory bird and beast of the field. You will fall on the open field. For it is I who have spoken, declares the Lord God. And I will send fire upon Magog and those who inhabit the coastlands in safety. And they will know that I am the Lord. Clearly, this apocalyptic end times war will be cataclysmic for the enemies of Israel. In fact, Israel's enemies will be so devastated, so utterly destroyed, that Israel will be able to use the weapons that they gather as fuel for the next seven years. Let's look at Ezekiel 39, verses 9 and 10. Then those who inhabit the cities of Israel will go out and make fires with the weapons and burn them, both shields and bucklers, bows and arrows, war clubs and spears. And for seven years, there it is, they will make fires of them. They won't take wood from the field or gather firewood from the forest, for they will make fires from with the weapons. And they will take the spoil of those who despoiled them and seize the plunder of those who plundered them, declares the Lord God. Wow, let's just take a moment. And I want to make a point uh, that's important here, and that is this. Not only is this going to be devastating, but you see in that text that there are references to bows and arrows, clubs. This sounds like ancient warfare, okay? And that is certainly how it sounds. And yet, this prophecy has never come true. There are some people who have tried to say, oh, it was this event, it was that event in the Bible. No, this specific set of prophecies in Ezekiel 38 and 39, this has never come to pass, okay? 
So then the question becomes, why is Ezekiel using all these ancient military terms to describe these weapons? There are multiple options there, but it can't be that this happened in the past because it didn't. Okay, so that's the first thing. But there are two other possibilities. One is that the world could go through some sort of catastrophic event, and like an electromagnetic pulse bomb event that fries all electronics and sort of sends us back to the Stone Age, in a sense, where we're not using computers and we're not using you know, technology. We're not able to drive a car or a tank or fly a plane. That could send the world back to this type of ancient warfare. The other possibility, and I lean in this direction, but I can't tell you for certain, so I'm being honest with you about that. The way I lean is that this is the way Ezekiel saw these things, right? He's not using modern names, right? In the last video we talked about, he's not using the name Russia, Iran, Sudan, Turkey. He's using ancient names, okay? But we know, uh, and uh, again, go back to that last video to see why we know that that's who he's talking about. But he's using terms like Gog and Magog and, and Rosh and Meshach and Tubal and Gomer and all these other names, okay? Persia. So he's using ancient names, so maybe he's using ancient references to warfare that he knows about, right? Because he doesn't understand uh, what he's seeing exactly, and he doesn't know how to describe modern technology. But let's give, give an example. The text mentioned chariots, okay? Well, what's the name of the current battle tank in Israel? It's the Merkava, which means chariot, okay? So maybe that's what Ezekiel is seeing. Here's another one. What's the name of our main a defensive set of missile defenses for longer range missiles, that's called the arrow, one, two, three, okay? So again, arrows are mentioned by Ezekiel. So could Ezekiel be using ancient names to describe modern weaponry he doesn't understand? That's where I lean, but I can't be certain. But I can be certain that this has never happened in the past. So we have to rule that out. Okay, let's continue. What's more is that Ezekiel 39, verses 11 through 13, tells us that it will take Israel seven months to bury all the bodies of the fallen enemy soldiers. Read with me. On that day, I will give Gog a burial ground there in Israel, says God. The valley of those who pass by east of the sea, and it will block off those who would pass by. So they will bury Gog there with all of his horde, meaning all of his, his forces, his coalition. And they will call it the Valley of Hamon Gog. For seven months, there it is, for seven months, the house of Israel will be burying them in order to cleanse the land, right? They can't just leave dead bodies all over. It would be horrifying. Back to the text. Even the people of the land will bury them and it will be to their renown on the day that I glorify myself, declares the Lord God. Now, if that weren't enough, Ezekiel 39, verses 17 through 20, tell us it would take even longer than seven months to bury all the bodies if it weren't for one thing. The birds of the air and the beasts of the field are going to come along and eat many of the bodies. As for you, son of man, thus says the Lord God, speak to every kind of bird and to every beast of the field, assemble and come, gather from every side to my sacrifice, which I am going to sacrifice for you as a great sacrifice on the mountains of Israel, that you may eat flesh and drink blood. You will eat the flesh of mighty men and drink the blood of the princes of the earth as though they were rams, lambs, goats, and bulls, all of them fatlings of Bashan. 
So you will eat fat until you are glutted, God is saying to these all these birds and beasts. And you will drink blood until you are drunk from my sacrifice, which I have sacrificed for you. You will be glutted at my table with horses and charioteers and with mighty men and all the men of war, declares the Lord God. Wow. So I just want to be clear. It would take seven months to bury the bodies if nobody was trying to come and get the bodies. But all these birds and all these beasts are going to come and devour much of these bodies of the enemy forces. Now, one thing that's interesting for you to know is that Israel lies on a pathway from Africa to Asia in which millions and millions of birds fly over us every year. I mean, people literally come to Israel to watch this massive movement of birds over our country. Now, that didn't have to be true for God to be right in this prophecy. He could bring birds from anywhere. But it is interesting, and I wanted you to know it, that he already has a plan. He already has this flight plan, as it were, of millions and millions and millions of birds flying over Israel. And if there's a feast, a sacrifice on the ground, believe me, they will stop and eat. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Our verse of the day today is found in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 13. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. Our prayer requests today are pray for the nations of the world, Israel and the epicenter, that the peace of God would reign and that they would come to know God. And second, pray that every effort of the Joshua Fund to educate the congregations in Israel and the Middle East will yield lasting results. Now, why exactly does God say that he's going to bring the war of Gog and Magog to pass anyway? Okay, we get our first set of answers in Ezekiel 39, verses 21 through 24. God says, And I will set my glory among the nations. And the nations will see my judgment. That's a key word. Bing! Judgment. We'll get back to that. Which I have executed and my hand, which I have laid on them, meaning on Gog's coalition. And the house of Israel will know that I am the Lord their God from that day onward. The nations will know that the house of Israel went into exile in the past for their iniquity because they acted treacherously against me. And I hid my face from them. So I gave them into the hand of their adversaries, and all of them fell by the sword. According to their uncleanness and according to their transgressions, I dealt with them, and I hid my face from them. This passage is extraordinary on many levels. 
First of all, let me just say, because God talks about judgment, and that's what this this war is mostly all about. At least half of it is about judgment. God is judging the leaders of Russia, the leaders of Iran, and the leaders of these other countries, plus their military forces that are coming against Israel. This is judgment. That's the word that's used, judgment. It's also extraordinary because God is saying that all the world, all the nations will see his judgment. Okay? Now, because of the miracle of television technology, satellite technology, the internet, and smartphones, you and I are the first generation in all of human history, in all of the 2,500 plus years since Ezekiel wrote this, in which all of the world could simultaneously watch the war of Gog and Magog play out live in real time. When else could that have happened? But there's another extraordinary thing, right? Because also in that passage, we see that God is not only bringing judgment that he wants all the world to see, but he's also going to bring mercy. He's also going to go show mercy to the house of Israel that he's hid his face from, from the Jewish people, and he's going to stop doing that. So let's continue, because God has more to tell us. Let's read the final verses of the prophecy. Ezekiel chapter 39, verses 25 through 29. Therefore... It's always important to see what the therefore is therefore. Therefore, because he's, God is wrapping up his message. And this is what he wants to say. Therefore, thus says the Lord God. Now, I will restore the fortunes of Jacob. Okay, Jacob is the other name for Israel, right? And I will have mercy on the whole house of Israel. And I will be jealous for my holy name. They, meaning the Jewish people of Israel, they will forget their disgrace and all their treachery, which they perpetrated against me when they live securely on their own land with no one to make them afraid. When I bring them back from the peoples and gather them from the lands of their enemies, then I shall be sanctified through them, set apart, made holy, sanctified through them in the sight of the many nations. And then they will know that I am the Lord, their God, because I made them go into exile among the nations. And then I gathered them again to their own land and I will leave none of them there any longer. Now, this is what he says to end. I will not hide my face from them any longer for I will have poured out my spirit and the house of Israel declares the Lord God. This is amazing. And I want to bring out a few points on this and then make a few last points. First, you just have to look at that and say, wow, God has been hiding his face from many of the Jewish people and not revealing himself for a long time because the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, rejected him, resisted him, stopped following the Bible, stopped following the Jewish scriptures, right? And of course, tragically, missed the Messiah, rejected the Messiah, okay? So for the last 2,000 years, not many Jewish people have known God personally through his only Messiah, Jesus, Yeshua, okay? So that's a problem. And God says to the Apostle Paul in Romans that he's going to put a partial hardening on the hearts and, and a partial blindness on the eyes of the Jewish people, but only partial, right? I'm a Jewish follower of Jesus. Paul was a follower of Jewish follower of Jesus. All the apostles were Jewish followers of Jesus. And now more and more Jewish people are having our eyes and hearts open. We're coming to faith in Jesus. But that's just the beginning, okay? The text is telling us that God's going to pour out his Holy Spirit 
What does the Holy Spirit do? He points to Jesus. He points to who God is, what his word really means, and that Jesus, Yeshua, really is the Messiah. This is an exciting development. And by the way, there won't be any atheists. Not every Jewish person after the war of Gog and Magog is going to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Many will, and more and more will come to know him in the years ahead of this. But no one will be an atheist because he's saying, I will make it clear that I am God. Okay, so there won't be any more Jewish atheists after this. Now, there are a few other things I just want to point out as we wrap up. There's so much to unpack here. And as I talk about in my book, Epicenter and Enemies and Allies, uh, there's so much here. And I, and I hope that you'll study this all carefully. But I want to make a few last points. The text tells us that the Jewish people will live securely on their own land. That's exciting. After these enemies are destroyed, there's going to be a season in which Jewish people in Israel are going to go, ah, okay, we're safe. Second, we see that the world will finally realize and truly understand that God made the Jewish people go into exile because of our sins, but that he's also the one who is regathering us to the land and to the state of Israel, to our own land. That's what the text says, that this is our own land. We can love our neighbors, but God is saying he did give us this land. That's what the text says. Third, and best of all, God promises that after the war of Gog and Magog, he will no longer hide his face from the Jewish people, as I said, from the nation of Israel. This is one of the most exciting things. God is telling us, he's promising that he'll pour out his Holy Spirit on the house of Israel. The War of Gog and Magog is one of the most dramatic and detailed prophecies in the entire Bible, and it hasn't come true yet. It's an advanced warning of apocalyptic, cataclysmic judgment that is coming to Israel's enemies. At the same time, Ezekiel 38 and 39 are among the most exciting and hopeful prophecies in all of the Bible. Why? Well, we just talked about it. Because it promises both justice and redemption for the Jewish people and the nation of Israel. This is why I love this prophecy. I wish it wasn't in the Bible. I will be honest with that because I don't want to see so much dramatic destruction and pain. However, given how much pain communist Russia, you know, radical Islamist Iran and these other nations have caused the Ottoman Empire under the Turks, we have been slaughtered, persecuted, uh, starved, uh, mistreated in every possible way by these regimes. And judgment is coming. So judgment is important. If God didn't bring judgment, then there would be no justice. But God is also bringing mercy to the nation of Israel. And this is what's coming. And I want to just wrap up by saying this. You know, God doesn't give us these prophecies to scare us, to frighten us. No, he gives us these prophecies to prepare us, to think about Wow, if these things are really getting closer, if Russia and Iran really are forming an alliance together and with all these other countries, if the Jews are back in the land of Israel, if deserts are blooming and the ancient ruins are all being rebuilt and all these pieces are coming together, I can't tell you exactly when this is all going to play out, but as we see God like rearranging the chess pieces on the board to bring a final checkmate against Israel's enemies, then we ought to ask ourselves, how can we be ready how can we know God better? How can we turn away from the sins that, that bedevil us and trip us up? That's why God gives us these prophecies, to warn us and prepare us. And that, my friends, is the purpose and the power of Bible prophecy. Well, thank you for listening to this episode and understanding prophecy on the war of Gog and Magog and Russia's part in the end time. 
If you found this podcast really valuable, please get in touch with us. Let us know who you are. Are you someone who is searching for Jesus? Here's where you can find him. Do you want to talk about something else on this show? Do you have a question you want Joel to answer? Send any comments you may have to podcast at joshuafund.net. Your feedback is incredibly valuable to us as we develop this podcast. And as always, you can check out our show notes for anything you heard on the podcast that you'd like more information on. For Joel Rosenberg and the Joshua Fund ministry team, I'm Carl Muller. Thanks for listening to Inside the Epicenter with Joel Rosenberg. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. God invites us to cultivate thankful hearts by turning our eyes toward Him in good times and bad. To listen to more Abide Christian Meditations, just go to lifeaudio.com or search your favorite podcast app for Abide Christian Meditation. You can also download the Abide app for more biblical meditations at abide.com.